filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Um, so, um, on, on, we have street sweeping on my street. I live in the middle of DC residential neighborhood. We have street sweeping two days a week on Wednesdays. My side of the street gets sweeped. And on Thursdays, the opposite side gets, actually it's vice versa. On Wednesdays, the other side gets sweeped on Thursdays. It's my side. I know where I need to park my car is the important thing. We got back from a week long trip. Um, and, and our car battery was dead. Um, because because reasons we got back and our, our car sits on our street and the battery was dead. Uh, I got a jump. It took like 10 minutes of it being plugged in, but I got it jumped and I drove it around trying to charge the battery and drove it to Costco, filled up the gas tank and, uh, drove it back. And today, 24 hours later, the battery's not totally dead. Like it was before. Like it was dead to the point that the power locks didn't work. Okay. Um, that's how dead it I've was. Seen- I've so, seen that happen. Yeah, and and it went through various phases as it as my neighbor jumped me. It, it went through various phases where the car alarm started going off. It's like I'm alive, and then it died again. <laughs> and then the lights started working when the door was open. So I realized I need to close the door so that it, no battery is being used and get it to the point where I can start it, and then the alternator will work. Um, right. But our batteries, you know, it it charged enough that I could um, when I drove around that I could start it again at Costco and. And it worked fine. It started up better at Costco, in fact. So I don't think it's my alternator. And then today, the battery is dead again. I tried to move the car because we're flying out tomorrow, and I want to make sure mm-hmm. I, I can park the car in the right place. Um, or even drive to the airport, should should I so desire. Uh, but, but it looks like we're going to take Uber to the airport because our car battery is dead. Not dead, dead, just not not alive enough to turn the engine over. <laughs> it's not dead, but it's not functional either. Yes, it is. It is not not properly working, but not totally dead. Um, right. Just just alive enough to to give me hope that it'll turn over and I'll be able to drive it around for a while and charge it tonight. But no, not so much. So that that was one part of the week. That was that was kind of the middle of the week. There was a lot of <laughs> other stuff in there. Um, getting back crazy late and being stuck on the tarmac at National Airport for half an hour at midnight because. They couldn't park the plane. The people who park planes at the airport just weren't there for half an hour. They just disappeared for a while. Um, that was a good start to the week. Yeah. Anyway. So it's, it's always fun to spend extra time on an airplane yes, when you just want to go home. Especially in the middle of the night when yeah. you haven't slept enough in several days. Uh, Anyway, we're going to stop complaining now. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, special midweek episode of Filibuster. Uh, tonight, just Jason Anderson and me. We're both from BlackAndRedUnited.com, where we write about D- DC United mostly, also the U.S. national teams, the Richmond Kickers, the Washington Spirit, and whatever else catches our fancy. Tonight, we're talking DC United's one-one draw with Montreal. We're talking a little bit 
about DC United's updated stadium renderings. Uh, we might mention the two to two draw with the Red Bulls over the weekend, and we're going to preview DC United's game Saturday night against the Chicago Fire. That'll be 7 p.m. at RFK Stadium. If you can't make it, News Channel 8 or the Sinclair station of your, not really choice, but of your locality. <laughs> yeah. You don't really get to choose which, which station is broadcasting. Before we talk about anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking tonight in your fancy Maryland class? It's a, it's a, um, a $2 um, cozy that I bought from Giant. Um, so and, so and fancy for glass. Maryland. For parts of Maryland, that would be fancy, I guess. Uh, it's an Not impulse all, buy. Some parts of I, Maryland are actually fancy. Yes. Uh, Maryland is America in miniature. That's what they'll tell you. <laughs> um but uh, no, I have a classic of the show and a classic of the region. I have a gin ricky um, that, on one hand, I made with uh, Blue Coat, which is a very good, very fancy gin uh, for, for upstanding folks. Um, and I, I guess I'm sure there are some louts that, that also have gotten their hands on it, too. So I guess I shouldn't leave out those louts. Um, Isn't but, the plural uh, of lout lice? Uh, I guess, but I like... <laughs> You like I saying louts think, better. Yeah, a, a group of, of louts uh, at like a, a bar or something like that, you wouldn't refer to them as lice. That would be a strange insult. But maybe um, you should. Even though they are loutish. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, so the drink itself is fancy. Uh, it's got, I topped it off with um, Perrier as my sparkling water. But because I too am suffering from uh, the dumbness of too much thing, too many things happening, too much things happening. As you can see, <laughs> the dumbness is happening. Um, and so I forgot one portion of the Ricky, which is when you put your lime juice in, you're supposed to leave the half of lime in the Mm -hmm. glass. And I thoughtlessly threw it in the trash. And then as it flew into the trash can, thought I shouldn't have done that. Um, (laughs) and it was too late. It's in the trash. There's nothing I can do. Uh, so I have a gin Ricky without, I, with the appropriate amount of lime juice, but not with the lime itself. So it's not, it's like a 99% Ricky. You're not getting the, the little bits of oil and bitterness from the. Right. From the ride. It's still, it's still pretty good because it is a blue coat Ricky. Right. Um, so I can't really complain except – well, I couldn't complain about the ingredients. It's not their fault that this happened. This is my <laughs> fault. Always blame others, Jason. Always blame others. I'm drinking Brew for Your Die IPA out of uh, California. It's 21st Amendment Brewery uh, out there. It's, it's a good IPA. It comes yeah. in cans. It doesn't take up much room in the fridge, and it's kind of always welcome in mind. Uh, I'm a fan. Yeah, they they make some really good stuff. Yeah. Um what's their uh is it Back in Black is their Black IPA? Uh that sounds right. Yeah, that's really good too. Um I think they've got a couple don't they have like a watermelon IPA during the summer? I don't think yeah, I've had it, but I think I, they I've do. Seen I don't it. think I've had it, but I've seen it. Um unfortunately my I think my Harris Teeter may actually even carry it. Unfortunately, they still don't have Dead Rise this summer. They've had it the last two summers when it's existed, and now but not you're this running summer. out of time. I know. Um <laughs> Do better, Harris Teeter, in Noma. Do better. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to you. The manager's a DC United fan. He may well be listening. I hope he is, and he's a really nice guy, and uh, we talk every time I see him in the store. I hope he's listening, and I hope he talks to his uh, beer distributor and gets <laughs> gets some dead rise. That's the kind of power we want to have as a podcast. It is. It's the kind of power we... Yes, we, we convince ourselves we may someday have when in actuality. No. Not a chance. <laughs> Even nah. if he does listen, which is already a small chance, 
it, it's still not going to affect uh, the stocking decisions of an entire grocery store. But we can hope to have just even that little bit of power to <laughs> convince a grocery store to stock a particularly delicious local beer. Um, well, on that note, let's talk about soccer. <laughs> Lamar Nagel giveth and Lamar Nagel taketh away. Uh, this weekend, DC United drew, or not this weekend, Wednesday night, DC United drew one to one in Montreal. Penalty scored by Patrick Nagel after Patrick, Patrick. or Lamar Nagel after yeah, Patrick Niarco got taken down in the box. Um, later, Hassan Kamara would score a goal that started with a bad Lamar Nagel turnover in DC United's own end. And that's how it ended. Um, this is kind of a, an interesting draw. A lot of draws in, in our homestand recently, the, of the three of them, they all, none of them really felt like a win, but none of them totally felt like a loss either. This one was kind of similar where, to, for, for me anyway, where it felt like a, a loss in that Montreal really pushed hard and probably could have had two or three goals, but it felt like a win because United were one mistake away from actually winning this game that without that Nagel turnover, who knows if Montreal actually can find the back of the net and United walks out with three rather unlikely points. So it's, it's weird in that both teams can feel a little bit lucky and a little bit unlucky. Yeah. Uh, I would say that's pretty accurate. Um, you know, given that it's this, this this terrible scheduling decision by the league, um, to put and and no team it's not just DC United no team should have to play Sunday Wednesday Saturday because or even Sunday of, Wednesday seventy three hours from the end of one game to the start right. of the next is ludicrous uh, yeah and and that's not just a that's not a blogger's complaint we're not uh, I mean we're going to complain about that too most likely because uh, it has completely drained me of all available time and uh, ability to think <laughs> about other things but. Um, the, there's a lot of science uh, on the uh, physiological side that has underlined that to play professional soccer and play well and not have a high risk of injury, you need those. You need three days between games, not two. Um, so DC got Monday and Tuesday, had to get themselves to Montreal during somewhere in there, and then go play again. So three completely had, off days, not not three. Right. Yeah, yeah, you you want four days between games, so you want your, like, 90 hours instead of 72. Um, right. Or, no, wait, no, 96 90. hours. Yeah, um, I don't know where 18 came from there, uh, but that's where that's where we're at right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you want, you want that extra day in there because the players physically cannot play at the same level. They cannot execute at the same level. Um, they make tired mistakes earlier. They cannot run as fast that it just not it it brings you down and you're also uh, really increasing the, the risk of injury yes hugely um and and they've done studies on the the body itself they've done studies on how teams do like how many points do they pick up um on average in those situations as opposed to with the extra day or with a full week and it's all pointing to you can't make teams play sunday then wednesday um, and now DC has to do it again. I have to do this the exact same thing. So, of course, there was a major uh, player rotation. Um, seven. seven. I think it was yeah. seven. Yeah, seven different players uh, were pulled out of the starting lineup. And then the eighth with Sean Franklin, he and Taylor Kemp uh, 
played half the game each. They split the game in half um, to avoid uh, that really being eight players being, or, or I guess it would have been five players having to do that. They turned that into a lesser problem. But mm-hmm. um, given which, all by that, the way, the first forty-five minutes of MLS action, either Franklin or Kemp has had this year has missed. Has missed. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the first forty-five minutes that Luke Nishu has played this year. Indeed. Um, in the league. Um, but with that in mind, with the fact that the rotation had to happen, um, I think making the decision to do it on the road and then coming in at home with your, your strongest squad is the right choice um, out of those out of the possibilities there. Um, and the fact that they went in and got a draw, I, I, that if you told me just with the lineups alone in Montreal um, – we're in a similar situation. They had one that they did have their one extra day and they didn't have to travel. Mm-hmm. So they went with more or less, um, other than a change in the back that may have just been down to bad defending them. That might've just been a time. It's time to change out an individual. Yeah. They gave up um, three goals though, the week, like four days before. So it makes sense to, that he might yeah. see a different change um, there. Especially if they were right. in a kind of a punk too. Yes. Um, so, they went all out after this game. I, Johan Venegas also got a start, which is rare uh, for him because Montreal doesn't seem to know what to do with him. Um, so in the context of the two teams that were on the field, um, the two lineups, how strong they were, the fact that United was on the road, um, I think 1-1 is a pretty strong result. Um, within the game itself, I thought there was a solid... I'm trying to think where... I guess it was about 45 minutes, but not one half and it's not wasn't all in one half it was more like after the 10th minute on to about the 55th minute united played pretty well um towards the end of this towards the end of the first half i thought they were in control of the game and the goal wasn't entirely a surprise right um however the other portion of the game the first 10 minutes montreal could have easily scored um and the final uh what does that leave us with uh, 35 minutes um, was pretty much just see a siege on United's goal, um, especially when Dom Oduro came in, um, which that's an interesting situation because he's been kind of left out lately, um, not injured, just Montreal had decided they w- didn't want to use him. Um, and at this stage in the season, when, when you're a veteran MLS player and someone starts not giving you starts anymore, it's almost like a, it's a strong sign that you might be on your way out. And instead he came in and... and was a major factor in Montreal, not just, I mean, he wasn't a factor on the goal necessarily, but he was involved in, in United being unable to really do much else other than defend on the back heel so much. Um, so that part is not, that's not ideal. You don't want to finish out a road game while you're up one, nothing just heels, heels on the end line, trying to defend from there. Um, I would like to see Bill Hamid make fewer big saves. Um, I mean, I mean, it's he awesome only made that he three does, saves but, in this game, but all yes. three of them were unbelievable. <laughs> right, they were they were ridiculous, um, you know, actual goal saving saves rather than just a functional save where it's easy. Um, you you would have thought that the ball was going in. Um, yeah. So that's not great. We've seen it a bunch. Obviously, it's not something United fans are unfamiliar with seeing. Um, but overall, I think it is sort of a mixed a mixed bag because this was a game that. United's leading at the 75th minute, and they don't come out with points. That's not good. Um, regardless, I mean, in soccer, generally speaking, there just aren't enough goals where that's ever going to feel okay. 
Um, but on the other hand, with the lineup being fielded, especially because we're talking about Boswell, uh, Marcelo only played, where did he come in at? Um, 70 minutes. Oh, I guess he played the last 28 plus. Yeah. Um, so he, he played a little while, but a lot only of took him 30 seconds to get a red, uh, yellow card though. Yeah. He came in and almost mm-hmm. immediately got himself booked. Um, which, uh, we were talking about, uh, earlier today where he may be in line for a record in yellow cards. If he, a league he record, play, not just a team record. Yes. Yes. The league record is 14 yellow cards in one season. And it goes back to 1996. Um, now if, uh, the thing is, he's going to pick up suspensions to get to that total, um, and there are only so many games left in the year, so he might run out of time. Um, the reason that record keeps standing is that the way MLS's suspensions are set up is that you get suspended after two cards uh, at a certain point instead of three. And so several players have run up against that and just haven't had time to get to 14. Um, but he's uh, he's the guy that has a chance at that this year. Um, but in any case... Um, you know, looking at the players rested, looking at a lot of overall, I would say, positive uh, positive news. The fact that we could start Rob Vincent uh, in a game with Ignacio Piatti and Didier Drogba and still only give up one goal. Um, that reflects well. He did have some moments where he struggled, especially early in the game. Montreal did a good job of coming in towards him and then pulling him out of the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, which in that in this formation, you can't really do that. You have to hand that runner off to somebody. Um but he got better as the game went on. Um, I want to say there was only one – there was one – or no, that was actually um, – that was still early. That was the Piotti chance uh, early on that, that Hamid saved that was um, – Drogba caught not just Vincent but like almost the entire United midfield and defense in uh, chaos and oh. just you know sliced them up. It wasn't that he had to have tremendous vision. He just had to be aware that everyone else was scrambling around in, in bad positions. Um but overall, I, I can't complain about a draw at Montreal. Um, I can't complain when this lineup uh, goes in an MLS match and gets a point. Um, we saw United do this last year as well, where they had to rotate a lot of guys out and still manage to get results with those lineups. Um, so that's a good sign. I don't, off the top of my head, I don't recall um, if there are any more game, situations like this where there's a midweek game that might require um, a rotation like this, but it's good to see that it's possible. Um, and we'll see the best lineup United has most likely give or take, um, Niarco who played, yeah. I think the full nine or no, he played 62 minutes. So, right. But we'll when he see. came off, he had been scaring us with his hamstring a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised yeah, there was to a, see him. There was the a weird, that was a weird fall where he grabbed the back of his leg, but then it ended up being something else that was bothering him. Um, it was a strange one, but, um, we'll see, we'll see what they do. But overall, if you had told me before the game that this was what was going to happen at one, one, it would have been like, okay, that's fine with, with the lineup we're putting out. That's fine. It's not yeah, exactly amazing, but you know, it's hard to complain too much, uh, even with the context of how the game went. And even with having to spend those last 35 minutes, uh, feeling under it, some, it was interesting because it was intense pressure. And yet, uh, other than Hamid saves, the most dangerous thing United had to deal with was, uh, Opare's block, that uh, hit the post. And I guess there was that one Mancosu chance that was also Vincent was trying to make an interception, ended up knocking the ball into Mancosu's path. Um, it was sort of a, a strange play. It wasn't like um, 
it wasn't the kind of thing you can correct with tactics or substitutions right. or whatever. Just sometimes the ball takes a strange hop. And right. uh, in both cases, United got away with it, which sometimes you need that slice of luck. Um, I'm sure there are Montreal fans that will say it was a slice of luck that the penalty was called. But uh, if you watch Donny Toya's second leg come through, you realize that there is a foul there, regardless of how much Niarco flew through the air and, and wiggled his arms or what have you. Um, I did see it's possible a couple... to sell it and still be a foul. Sign, right, but... and it's also possible for a guy to just fall clumsily, and it's still a foul regardless of how much his arms are moving around. Right. Um, I saw a couple write-ups that tried to treat it as a more controversial call than it was. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that the Impact argued it, I mean, if you've watched the Montreal Impact, they argue every call forever. Um, it is a major thing that they do. Uh, it's not even one or two guys. It's a team-wide uh, argument. Um I mean, Evan Bush got the booking for dissent, and he's one of their more calm players. So um, that's just an impact tradition uh, to argue. So overall, I can't complain, and I I also don't feel like it was that unfair of a result. Even though Montreal took 19 shots, a lot of those were desperation shots, a lot of uh, panicky stuff. You know, they had a lot of the play, but they didn't necessarily carve out so many chances where you'd say, wow, I can't believe United got away with this one. It's not like the right, they really 25 had shots three. to one game. Yeah, you know, they had three great chances. Uh, and plus, Bill got in front of all of them. Right. Um, you know, the Mancosu missed the Opare block. Um, but if you go on the road and concede five strong chances, you're a lot of times in MLS that you only come away with one goal in those situations. So yeah. overall, not bad, not great, but not bad. And it's a platform to now win uh, at home on the weekend. Right, doing that with the with the squad rotation is is important. Being able mm-hmm. to do that is important because there's a chance we'll be without one or more players if we do make the playoffs for some for a leg or for a knockout game. So it's it's a big deal to be able to get those guys in. And even if Julian Buescher didn't have the best game, watching him take you know kind of handing him the keys to the car for one game. Um, and, and getting a result is yep. is a good thing. And this yep. is actually, I, I, I noted this in, in our Slack, and I think I noted it on, on Twitter when I was running the the live tweet for, for the site account. This is the first time in 2016 that DC United has played a game and Luciano Acosta has not appeared in it. Yeah. I think, at the very least in MLS, I think across all competitions, this is the first game we've had that Luciano Acosta has not appeared, um, which is incredible. He's one of three guys that's true for league games. And now he, it's no longer true for him. Um, it's now only true for Franklin and Kemp, um, which is astonishing when you consider the narrative from earlier in the year that he, he couldn't get any burn for, right. for Ben Olsen. But, but there it is. Let's, let's quickly talk about the, the other game this week, two, two draw at RFK stadium, really the um, wet puddle that used to be RFK stadium uh, against the, the, the hated, New Jersey energy drinks, the Metros, the the Red Bulls. United went down two, came back in a three-minute span to score both goals through through Patrick Mullins and through Wait, why am I blanking on who? It was it was penalty a penalty. Kick. It was Marcelo. Yeah, Marcelo. Yeah. Marcelo scored the first on a penalty, won by Lloyd Sam against his former teammates. Um <sighs> I hate taking only gutsiness away from a game, but given the field conditions in this one and the fact that 
the first goal against was entirely down to the field conditions. It was a botched clearance by Sean Franklin because the ball didn't bounce the way the ball is supposed to bounce because it hit a puddle and went under his foot. And, and Mike Grella took it and crossed to Bradley Wright Phillips. And that was, that was the first goal. But given the inability to really play either team's game on, mm. on that field, coming back from two goals down is, I feel like a good story. It's, it's a good thing that, that they did. It would have been nice to get all three points, but given the field conditions, it was, it was kind of a crapshoot and, and coming away when, when you're down two goals, coming away with anything is, is generally a good thing. Yeah. I mean, it, I overall was encouraged by the fact that United was the better team. Um, the fact that, I thought it was kind of funny that a lot of people sort of reflexively criticized um, the tactics in the game. But if you were at the stadium, the field was not playable uh, in any real soccer manner. Because um, Franklin's mistake on the goal, for example, happened, I, I want to say, four or five other times in the half. It um, happened once to Mike Grella as he was dribbling against Sean Franklin. He was dribbling right. and the ball stopped and Franklin took it. This was turnabout that ended up much worse for for yeah. us. And, and, you know, at the other end, New York had a couple uh, whiffs on defensive clearances and they just happened to not be as uh, under as much pressure or the ball happened to float away uh, just enough that no one could immediately capitalize on it. And I was actually sitting with some people that uh, don't follow the game as closely as maybe listeners of the show do. Um, and I was telling them, I was like, in these conditions, the game is basically going to come down to a mis- there's going to be a mistake on a goal and it's going to be the ball doesn't do what you're what it's supposed mm-hmm. to do and what these guys have seen it do a million times it's going to suddenly not do that the physics are going to change and physics in life if, if you're if you go outside and gravity is at half strength you're going to make mistakes uh you're probably gonna have a hard time getting in your car um and sure enough you know it happened for dc but it didn't quite pan out it happens at the other end and franklin happens to be right at the top of the box with uh grella really not even pressing that hard just token pressure he just happened to be in the right spot when the the huge mistake happens um but for the fact that the game was sort of an unplayable surface um sort of not a soccer game the fact that united still ended up being the aggressor they i thought they adapted to the field surface pretty well by just trying to get in behind. Um, Mm -hmm. It did not make for uh, a particularly edifying uh, game, but in those conditions, the job is like, you know, you're not going to be able to play good soccer at that point. It's not Mm -hmm. going to happen um, for any team with any personnel. Um, And your job is still to win the game. And I thought they did a better job of that than uh, New York, even though, Apparently, Jesse Marsh ran up and used the the delay to tinker endlessly with his tactics. And still (laughs) he still ended up having to rely on a a dumb mistake uh, that that I I mean, dumb luck, not a dumb mistake from Franklin, just dumb luck handing his team a goal Um, and some uh, some close offside calls and some bad finishing, uh, if we're being honest. Um, Patrick Niarco could have easily headed the team in the lead before the before New York got their goal. Um, Yeah. So. Overall, it's one of those games where if you play it that way 10 times, United probably wins seven of them. Um, it's just that a little bit of bad luck, even the Felipe goal felt sort of odd. Um, yeah. There was a loose yeah, ball the- that, that squirted over to him. And 
everyone was trying to get to it. It just took such an odd angle that uh, Jared Jeffrey was trying to get there, but the angle he took to the ball was a dry field or a normal playing surface angle, and the ball just sort of kept spinning away from him, and all of a sudden, uh, Felipe's got four people shielding Hamid uh, from sight of the ball and an angle to shoot. Um, I mean, I I couldn't... I hated the fact that it's Felipe scoring a goal, uh, yes. because I, I, I believe that Felipe may be the... the lowest character uh of all of mls at this point i think um, i think regular listeners to our show and certainly readers of black and red united will agree with you that's that's the commonly held position the yeah. most we run a gifts post our 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 buddy ryan Kiefer puts up uh he collects gifts of of games every week and and puts them up and the single most requested gif i think ever we don't usually get requests for specific plays before the gifts post comes out we had several requests for Luciano Acosta just pinging Felipe right in the nuts. <laughs> he 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 crotch shotted Felipe, yeah. just just nailed him with the ball right it's... in the balls, and that was everybody wanted a gif of that. And now we have two. We have a, we have a re- a reader who put in the comments a a live action shot and a super slow mo shot, <laughs> and I'm not I'm normally a someone who sympathetically reacts and recoils when i see someone get hit like that but god the satisfaction of watching those gifts man <laughs> i'm not gonna lie well, i'm not gonna lie i feel no right no it, sympathy for felipe when he does that which is bad of me i admit <laughs> it it's bad of me he he's never done anything to me personally like actually to me he's kicked players who play for a team that i like and he's played for a team that i don't like um, but that's, that's as far as he's ever done to me, but I still enjoy it. I still do. I mean, and, and there's also the added aspect of, uh, as any Simpsons fan can tell you, uh, football in the groin, uh, is always a tempting thing to vote for. Um, it's hard, it's hard to go with another option when football in the groin is there. Um, and so there's the added, uh, pure slapstick of, Haha, the guy got hit in the nuts. Uh, it happens, uh, and people laugh at that. Yep. Um, and it's dumb, but, you know, dumb stuff can be funny, too. Um, but in any case, um, yeah, I, I think uh, it was good to see United, to go back to your initial question, um, it was good <laughs> to see United actually put it put it together a little bit and find, their, find a way to get something, um, especially finally getting the Lloyd Sam running in behind move uh, to pay off because um, I think he was offside like six times before that. And I I can, I know that the people standing around me were starting to grumble about Lloyd Sam running offside, even though, you know, the the idea behind it was sound because you can't really play build up soccer. So why don't you just pass him behind and have him chase it? Um, But the fact that it finally turned, it finally came good um, it, it turned into a penalty. Uh, I don't really know why. I mean, I guess other than the reflexive always complain about every penalty, uh, the Red Bulls did not really have an argument on that one. Um, Chris Duvall just, or what it was Chris Duvall, right? Uh, was it, no, it was Kamar Lawrence. Kamar Lawrence just yeah. barreled he over just him ran from the, the back line. of him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it and wasn't, Sam knew it was coming to, too. Yeah. He didn't want to commit a foul, but you can't run into people and knock them over in the box. Right. Um, and, you know, tucking away the penalty, United has had trouble with penalties, though now, you know, all of a sudden we've got two in two games, which is a pleasant uh, way compared to the previous two and, history. Where, 
where it felt like, oh no, we've got like a 60% chance of converting this. Right. And that was, um, as we won penalties really rarely there too. Like yes. the first 23 games of the season, we United were given two penalties and scored one of them. And yes. in the last two games, two penalties, both of them scored. Well, and a lot, and a lot of that, um, Niarko is, is always going to be a threat to win penalties. Um, yeah. because of his and dribbling ability. Too. And yeah, um, he, and that's maybe part of the idea is, uh, putting teams on their heels inside the box, especially in those conditions. Um, it makes things very tricky. It's hard, it's hard to tackle successfully without accidentally committing a foul like Lawrence did. Um, and that's, that's a reasonable thing to do, especially if you're not able to create through other means. You can't, um, use build up play or, or rely on a cost of playing deep through balls, uh, to get people in behind. Uh, in those conditions, it's a lot harder to do that. So you say, all right, let's just try and get the ball to the wingers and get them into the box. And um, because the conditions have ruined any sort of subtlety, let's it, you know, let's make it simple and not be the team that's just pumping the ball and hoping for the best. Um, and then to get a goal three minutes later through Mullins, who now is on two goals since he arrived, um, which is uh, keeping in pace with kind of what I, I was expecting. I think he can get yeah. to five before we're done here. Yeah, two goals and an assist and what was it? Five games, six games, uh, some seven no, games. Less than that. Yeah, not a lot of games. That's a good, yeah, good return. A good pay. Um, so those are those are good signs. And United could have gone on to win the game. It's it's disappointing not to win because of the the context of the homestand ending with three draws and a win. Um, thankfully, the East is so forgiving that United is still. It's it was funny looking back on the post that I that I wrote about points per game and the projections there. And DC and Orlando finished at the end of the homestand. Both of them were exactly where the post and the, the points per game said that they should be. They both had 28 points. United was still ahead on a tiebreaker. The The good news was that the revolution were so bad during that stretch that they had fallen off the pace entirely. Mm-hmm. And uh, United was ahead of them as a result. Like, even though they did not overachieve and they did not uh, take advantage of the opportunity, the revolution were so bad that it didn't necessarily matter that much um and actually now you've got chicago and columbus coming up where they're getting a little close i mean columbus got a little chicago got much closer um they've got four points in their last two games um so all of a sudden the east looks like more of a jumble except i don't know i feel like columbus and the revs you can kind of write them off for dead at this point they just don't look like teams that are going to turn it around um but then if you would ask me that a week ago I would have said the same about Chicago. I, I would have thought they were going to go to lose at Montreal, lose to L.A., and uh, be the fire that they've been all year. So who knows, and, I guess. The East is a mess is yeah. the, the, the broader point. And the fire may yell, may yet still be exactly who we, who we thought they are. Hopefully we don't let them off the hook on Saturday. And we'll talk more about that after a quick break. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. 
I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Before we get to this weekend's game against the Fire, I want to talk a little bit about some stadium stuff. DC United released new stadium renderings um, for the project down on Buzzard Point this week. Um, basically, these are around a second submission with the the DC Zoning Commission, uh, which rejected the the first proposal for the stadium, which is pretty common at the zoning commission if you're asking for a a pud which is a planned unit development anytime you have a big development that goes against the zoning for the area which a stadium always will basically um you have to go to the zoning commission and ask for you know some basically leeway and exemption to to do what you're trying to do and it happens for big apartment projects that are asking for extra height or extra density um or or for mixed use in an area that's only residential um, and, and it happens for stadiums. So the, they get to decide based on kind of whatever they want. One of the zoning commissioners said that the, the last, the previous renderings of the stadium looked like a prison because there weren't a lot of windows. It looked like a lot of concrete on the outside and it just didn't look very welcoming to the outside, which Jason, I'm sure you're fine with, but, um, the zoning commission felt that the future neighbors of the stadium, both those who live in the neighborhoods north of the stadium and those who will live on Buzzard Point when the various development projects that are being announced almost weekly now, it seems like, um, get built, they won't enjoy it as much. And so this new rendering has more wood, uh, some softer colors, some windows where there weren't windows before, a cool party deck actually on the Eastern stand, which wasn't there before. And I'm kind of happy about, uh, for before and after games, um, while you wait on Metro to clear out. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there, there are a bunch of things that, uh, little things about this, these You're renderings. You're assuming that Metro that, will still exist nice. when the stadium is open. That's true. That is a, uh, <laughs> not necessarily safe assumption at this point but i'm really hoping the green line lives long <laughs> enough for me to to go down there otherwise i i'll just buy a bike seat for my toddler and put her on my you know the back of my bike and we'll we'll ride down fix up Anne louise's bike and mine and and that'll be that'll be how it goes um but but generally i like these new renderings i know urban turf did a side-by-side and said that the new renderings looked a lot better um a lot less foreboding for for the neighborhood jason what was what was your reaction when you saw these if any um i didn't have a major reaction because the inside of the stadium is still the same and as you already touched on that's really all i care about um i know though that other people have to live with it so um the, the addition of some wood surfaces is nice um, I'm actually looking through 
some of the renderings now so I can actually not have to remember off the top of my head. We've seen so many renderings at this point that it's hard to keep straight. Yeah, uh, that's which, true. which I which think is another thing. That, that's a valid complaint is the, the yeah. rendering fatigue. The last two rounds of renderings have actually been related to the stadium moving forward yeah. ever so slightly because they've been submissions to the D.C. government. Right. It, it, it's not I, I understand why they're there. It's just a um, keeping them all straight in your head and, and remembering, like, was that in this one or not? Um, the number of strange hexagons or are they even <laughs> hexagons? Um, I think they are. I, I'm a little puzzled by it. I don't mind it. I'm just wondering why they are hexagons. Um, but overall, I mean, it seems like, uh, it's, it's very going to be, a more of a, uh, brightly colored, um, because of the windows and, and, uh, a few more, um, lighter gray surfaces, the concrete, it, I guess they decided to lighten it a little bit. Maybe it, that's just a rendering trick. Um, but overall it seems a little more. You, you said welcoming. Maybe that's the best word for it. Um, but the, the more important thing to me is always, you know, the stands and the field and all the other stuff. Uh, eh, I don't, I'm not really <laughs> going to. I'm not. The thing is, I'm not even going to notice it is the thing. Right. Like, this isn't just a um, a theoretical. Like, I will not necessarily. And if I go there, like, I assume before the place opens that there will be a chance for fans to go see the place without soccer being played you know when it's you can go inside without necessarily it being ready to open um and i'll notice stuff then walking around but on a game day uh you know mid-season 2018 after after the place opens i probably will just i'll know the same sites that i know at rfk which is to say i've been going to rfk for 20 years and i still or longer than 20 years and i still don't know where a lot of concession stands are i know where the pupusa stand is um i know (laughs) where the nearest bathroom is to where i I, uh go and i know um where the champions club is and there's like a donut stand that i walk past on my way in Mm -hmm. and those are the landmarks that i keep in my head and everything else i've never even been to the donut stand except once to ask if they sold coffee and they don't Um, which is which is ludicrous let's be honest it's a little silly for them not to sell coffee um i needed a caffeine kick pretty badly and didn't want soda um and they were like no we don't have any coffee do you want some hot cocoa and i was like i no um but any case that's not we're not here to talk about did you say yes and then just threw it on the ground and walked away without paying no i i think i just was like no thank you and i just like turned and did the like um the the Michael Sarah walk from uh, Arrested <laughs> George Development. George Michael, yeah. Yeah, I just turned and, and sh- shuffled my feet while the uh, the music... What was that, from Charlie Brown? It's from Peanuts, yeah. Yeah, um, the music from Charlie Brown played over the RFK loudspeakers. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it looks good, and it looks um, it looks like something that the commission is going to be more, more amenable towards, which uh, is important at this point because we're in the back half of 2016 and buzzard point is supposed to be playable in 2018. It's not a lot of time to actually get going. Right. Um, And the the zoning commission, I guess doesn't meet till November. So this was a submission to them so that they can vote on it in, in November. And, um, and, and they can really start building this thing because they, they can't do it until the, the zoning is done. So um, I don't know if this, I don't know if this push pushes the timeline back at all. If it does, then DC United gets to do uh, the, the, the now becoming classic 
uh, season opening road trip, which worked really well for Sporting Kansas City a few years ago. And it looks like it's working really well for Toronto FC this year um, because they're currently favorites but to win the East, gone, if not the supporters. It's also show. gone very badly for Toronto in the past. Um, That's true. It's one of those things where if you don't get some momentum going in those games, your 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 season never gets off the ground, and um, you end up basically struggling the entire time. So it it's not necessarily a a great piece of news. It if really you can make it down, work, it can be really good. But yeah, it, 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 it's yeah. If it's you can stay afloat for eight road games, and then the back half of your schedule is seventeen at home and nine away, you have a great setup to get in the playoffs. But if you're a mess when those home games come around, you're not going to suddenly be not a mess. So right. um, it's a very difficult challenge to deal with. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about around the stadium um, was the reaction actually to the uh, LAFC stadium groundbreaking. And you can't see my air quotes uh, through your headphones. <laughs> um, he did them. I saw it. Uh <laughs> Will Ferrell got in a backhoe and lifted some dirt from a pile of dirt and then dropped it. And and that he, was... He yelled some. He yelled positive he, he things did. like, look at that, or something like that. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he was pretty excited. He was wearing a neon uh, highlighter vest in there. And then uh, Magic Johnson got in it without the vest, just in a suit, and, right. and kind of giggled as he did it, as he lifted the dirt. Um, possibly the same dirt. I'm not sure. Um but there were a lot of reactions from from DC fans I saw on Twitter um, that that were basically meanwhile nothing's happening at Buzzard Point, which which I think is wrong on a couple levels. Number one, we had this submission the same week to the zoning commission. These renderings weren't just look, we're still doing something. They were for a purpose. They were to push the process forward, which in DC, the process is long and arduous and every step you take in the positive direction needs to be celebrated because it's hard. The other thing, the other reason I think this is wrong is because DC United did exactly what LAFC did back in April where they had what they called the infrastructure groundbreaking. They knocked over a metal shed, which was cool. And everyone's like, okay, but when's the real groundbreaking? This is what LAFC did. This was a ceremonial groundbreaking the building that they need that, that currently occupies the site the the la sports arena which is closed is still there the, there's still a building on that site right. they can't build a stadium yet because they have to knock down the other buildings that is exactly where dc united was in april and the fact that they're doing this that they're celebrating and dc united fans somehow one feel that that means that we're behind like the the two stadiums are connected in any way right. and two that <laughs> They're yeah, not a zero-sum game. Yeah, I like don't if, understand. If LA don't understand gets the their reaction from either if, perspective, it's yeah. If LAFC builds the their stadium it, first, it doesn't mean that DC United does not get a stadium. It's not that there's only one stadium, and whoever builds theirs first get wins, and the other team just has to abandon their project and go back to what they were doing. I mean, that would um, be a pretty fun Thunderdome. Construction well, not necessarily. Thunderdome. Um, no. Because be I feel a, like LAFC has more money behind them and would just throw money at true. it. And we would be reduced to sending fans out to demolish their stadium uh, guerrilla style and it would turn into some sort of protracted conflict. It would, yeah, it would either be it, an, an actual war, conflict. an yes. actual <laughs> war, or a very expensive, very depressing, very wasteful reality show. Yes, uh, a terrible, <laughs> a terrible show hosted by Ty Pennington. <laughs> anyway, the idea that the two are connected. I think is wrong. And the idea that LA are somehow LAFC in their construction are somehow ahead of buzzard point construction is also wrong. Um, 
they hit a milestone that that was passed a while ago on on the buzzer point project um congrats to them and and congrats to them on the franchise on on the brand that they're building and on their future stadium which does look really nice um but but there's no reason to feel like buzzard point isn't progressing right now and i don't know I, I mean, i'm sure I there are see, reasons for dissatisfaction I, do, I just don't see them i i do understand why people would see another stadium event and get envious um because lafc's did look like a little bit of a bigger occasion because they put out they had a larger crowd it looked like um there were celebrities there so uh it attracted more news um so from that front i guess it looked like a bigger event um but that doesn't mean anything towards the buzzard point event it doesn't indicate anything um just because the event at at uh, Buzzard Point was just taking down a beat up metal square, basically. Um, mm-hmm. That I, if my memory serves, it was just no one was quite sure what to do with it, and it wasn't really anyone's property. It was just sort of this random thing that was stuck in place that had to get out of the way. Right. Um, Would people have felt better if there was a ceremonial pile of dirt that the backhoe was lifting right. and dropping in place? Because that's if, what they did in L.A. <laughs> right. Or or if that um, rusty metal thing had been like a grander, uh, less rusty metal thing, um, if it looked a little more uh, occupiable, then maybe people would have said, oh, well, now it's now it's really a big deal. Um, I don't know. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe LAFC managed the optics of it a little better to make it a bigger event, but they are in LA, so I think That's they're aware they that um, making a big show of things is important for from for that area in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, yeah, right now, it, LAFC it, is a media brand. That's all they are right now. Right, they, they're they, not a team yet. They have an academy. They're a media brand with a soccer academy attached to it. Right. Eventually, they will be a, cl- a soccer club and a team. Um, but they're not yet. And they're really good at being a media brand. They're really good at it. And, right. and But that doesn't mean that anything shows. for the – yeah. It, it was a strange reaction for people to get upset about. Um, and I think it was one of those things where people went with a gut reaction and it sort of snowballed in certain circles um, and became – you know, no one ever stopped to say like, wait a minute. Why am I mad about this? Right. Um, why, why is this bothering me? Because it isn't any different from something we already did. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, going back to the original, uh, thing that I said is just, it's not a race between the two. Like both stadiums are going to coexist unless the world ends. Um, so, you know, fear of the apocalypse more than you're going to fear the, the LAFC stadium somehow canceling out buzzard point or, or ruining it or delaying it or having any impact on it whatsoever. You should fear the apocalypse more. And, and that's really my life advice as well. You should always be afraid of the end of the world because that's where you live. <laughs> um, can, can we go back to talking about the rusty, not very grand rusty metal thing? Cause I really want to use that as a segue to talk about the fire. That's not bad. <laughs> That's probably the f- most forced segue I've ever done, but you're going to accept it. And I'm, that is why our show still exists and we haven't killed each other. DCU United host a suddenly competent Chicago fire team this Saturday at RFK Stadium. Uh, I said it earlier, but that'll be 7 p.m. on News Channel 8 or your local Sinclair uh, broadcast station. Chicago are unbeaten in their last two games, a three nothing win in Montreal to go with a two to two draw against a shorthanded LA team. Um, 
are is Chicago turning a corner here? Are they suddenly a, a playoff threat in the East, or is this just a little blip? Uh, it's probably a little of both. I mean, the East is so forgiving that. I mean, the fire have been terrible for this season, and yet they're still alive because no one has has distanced themselves enough uh, for them to be out. I mean, with uh, if I'm not mistaken, I, I'm actually going to open the standing so I don't get this wrong. But uh, off the top of my head, I feel like they're six points behind DC. So if they were to win this weekend, they would be one game away from a potential playoff berth in the East, depending on other results, which is insane because they've been horrible this year. Um, but that's the East this season. Yeah, it is six points. They've got 20, yeah. no, that yeah, 23, um, DC has 29. Um, that's so insane. that is, it is ridiculous that they're still afloat. Um, but that's the East. I mean, Columbus I think has it also as many... shows how ridiculous that United's in the playoffs with 29 points after right. 25 games. Yes. Normally this would not be good enough to get into sixth place. Um, but the badness has been sort of spread out a little more. So you have a team like DC that doesn't feel outright bad. They just haven't been good. Um, and maybe you could say the same for Orlando. And the Revs have had their moments where they aren't outright bad, even though I maintain that they are, in fact, bad at soccer as a group. Um, or for professionals, anyway. Um, but yeah, Chicago may be finding... Uh, finding themselves a little bit, uh, figuring out how to make their approach to the game work, um, not just to keep games close, but to actually win. Um, and also, I mean, as of a couple weeks ago, people were pretty much writing them off for dead, so there's no pressure there anymore. Right. Um, so they can sort of uh, relax a little bit, and, and uh, you know, the, the Open Cup was a big thing for them, and they botched it. Um, but it's almost like that has helped them a little bit because now they don't have any, there's nothing hanging over their heads at all. No one has any expectation on the fire. They've sort of been forgotten by any national discussion of MLS. So now they can just uh, go about their business without pressure. It's sort of a strange situation. Um, but I will say that the three, nothing over Montreal was, I wouldn't say it's a fluke. I think they deserve to win the game one, nothing because they did create one good counterattack. The other two goals were also counterattacks, but they came after Montreal had gone to uh, a 3-4-3 in which uh, Ignacio Piatti was on the left side of midfield. Um, so they had three strikers, Piatti in midfield. Um, I want to say somebody else that a, a very attacking – I think it was Michael Salazar suicidal, was playing. A suicidal yes, setup. It, to get it was goal. basically a 3-2-5 uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and Chicago took advantage and broke out um, – and sent numbers forward while Montreal was in a, in a no real shape to do anything. Um, so that, you know, it's a little bit of an illusion, just like the, the LA result. When you look at the lineup, the galaxy put out, um, you know, Steven Gerrard was not even in the 18, uh, Dos Santos played 30 minutes. Robbie Keane was rested. He was not in the 18. Um, so, you know, they've, they've done well in, in these recent games to take advantage, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they've fully rounded a corner other than maybe David Akam all of a sudden coming to life, which isn't the best news for, for anyone that has to deal with him because, you know, despite Chicago being bad, David Akam is very good. <laughs> uh, so the fire are in year one of their latest 
rebuilding project to that replaced their old rebuilding project that replaced their rebuilding project before that they never get to the having something built phase but with um nelson rodriguez coming in to to run their front office and and Panovich coming in to be their coach they they seem to have set their their sail in a or set their course in a particular direction how are they do you think these latest results show some progress on that with the way they've played at all or um is this basically they're they're trying to just survive this year and get into next year where they can make some more changes and build toward whatever Panovich's vision is I think uh, at the beginning of the year Rodriguez seemed to really indicate that this was a a plan going forward that wasn't just we'll see if this works and if it doesn't by the end of the year we'll change everything again um, I think he has managed to sell the idea to ownership there that nothing's going to work if you just give it one year. Um, you have to give it more time than that for it, for this team to get up off the off the ground, basically. Um, I do think they're sort of making modest progress towards what they want to be, especially with the moves they made in this past window to bring in uh, Michael Delu or Leu. I'm not sure. It's a it's an unusual name. Uh, it's a Dutch name, and it's got uh, a U followed immediately by a W. I'm not prepared for that. Um, David Akam, obviously, they've they've realized to build around him um, as an attacking threat. They went out and got Luis Solignac from Colorado and have made him a starter right away, which has had uh, some mixed results. He played really well against Montreal, but he also had maybe the worst miss of the entire season against the year. Yeah. Um, yeah, with uh, the goalkeeper not even inside the 18, um, and he managed to not even put it on frame. It's one thing if the guy, if, if a defender blocks it and you say, oh, I can't believe I shot right at him. Um, but he to miss everything, yeah, yeah um, it was truly, truly something else. But in any case, um, yeah, there are some young players that are, are promising. Brandon Vincent um, has a, a good future. Jan- Jonathan Campbell. Um, so they've got two rookie starting defenders who are both – looking like really good players. Um, John Gosens has, John Gosens has impressed since he came in. He's been, he's an interesting player because he's an attacking midfielder who doesn't really create goal scoring chances. Mm -hmm. Um, He's more of a goal scoring attacking midfielder. It's what he looks for first is he, he, he's got the forwards mindset, even though he has the skill set to play deeper. Um, So he's an interesting player. I don't, I don't know that they know what to do with him quite yet. Um, which is why he's been shuffled around. He's played on the right, on the left, down the middle. Um, they've looked at different partnerships to try and get um, get things going with him more. Um, but I, I think also that Panovic might like that flexibility. I think against Montreal, I wish I had... I don't know where my notepad was, where I kept notes on their game against Montreal, but they changed... They shuffled players around like six six different times. And most of it was their front four shifting spots. And so uh, DeLay, who played up front, he played on the right, he played on the left. Uh, Akam did all of those things as well. Solonak played, I think Solonak actually ended up playing all four positions, uh, which he's not an, an attacking midfielder, a central player, but he ended up in that spot for a little while. Um, so that might be part of Poundovich's way of doing business is to just um, if things aren't working to just shuffle them, shuffle the deck a little, not make subs, but just move guys around to see if that, that'll change things. Um, there's a plus and minus to that. You know, obviously you don't want to just 
commit to something that isn't working. Um, so being open to change is good, but throwing your players the constant curveball of like, oh, can you guys switch spots? Can you guys switch spots five minutes later? Can you do it again now? Um, that doesn't necessarily lend itself to continuity or, um, you know, building towards something. It just sort of becomes an at random, let's see if this works. Um, so I, I, I would, I wouldn't go so far as to say they're truly making progress as much as they're assembling some pieces to the puzzle that will help them down the road. Um, I think a lot of their players are also being just evaluated as to whether or not they're going to be of any use in 2017. Um, all the rumors are that they've assembled a huge amount of allocation money and that this this winter they're going to be uh, spending it uh, pretty enthusiastically. So it, they might be more interesting to watch in the offseason because what they are now is a team that sits very deep and tries to counter. And that's pretty much it. That's the whole, the whole game for them is defending counter, which is why they don't really do that well at home because other the other team also sits back and nothing really happens. Um, their games end up being very boring unless there's a tremendous rainstorm, which happened to DC when they visited Chicago. And once again, we're stuck in a game where soccer couldn't really occur. And predictably, there was a tie. Yeah. Although at that point in the season, DC United weren't really playing the best soccer either. Um, no. Now, now they're playing much better soccer, and and the key this weekend is is getting three points and at home against the fire. No matter what kind of string of results they're coming off of, it has to be three points, right? Like it, anything less than a win this weekend, unless it's like the referee uh, assassinating two of our players at the opening whistle. Um, anything less than three points, I feel like, will be a failure. This will be a no, even if it's the most inspiring come from behind draw. This will feel like a loss. Yes. Um, yeah, there's no there's no excuse to not win this game, um, regardless of Chicago playing better lately, regardless of the short rest, regardless of, of the heat, again, being a factor. It's going to be above 90 on Saturday. Um, all of those things, they don't matter. And I know DC United knows that. Um, they've they talked about it during the homestand. They talked about it after this past game. Um this game has to be a win, um, especially with, I think it's three straight on the road to come up yep. uh, after this. Um, that sixth spot in the East is is there for the taking. Um, it's sitting on the table and everyone has turned their back on it and is drifting away from it. Um, if anyone takes a step towards it, they are probably going to be a playoff team. And as we've seen in MLS so many times over the years, you get to be a playoff team and all of a sudden your chances of success are really better than they should be. Uh, if we're being honest, 12, 12 playoff spots is too many for a 20 team league. It's, it's preposterous that there's, they opened it up again. Um, but that doesn't change anything for, yeah, you know, just because DC is in a strange playoff system that doesn't really, it's not really defensible. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try and and take advantage now that you're in that situation. RSL's one and only MLS cup win. Um, they snuck into the playoffs when DC United couldn't hold on to a win against Sporting Kansas City back when they were the Kansas City Wizards and played at a yes. minor league baseball park. I remember Fred got a red card on the goal line, yes, uh, trying, stopping trying. stopping a shot, and that penalty, I think, tied up the game. And, and yes. that was and then, the difference between DC United going game, to the playoffs and RSL going to the playoffs. And RSL ended up beating LA in the MLS Cup final. That is what MLS playoffs are. They're... Right. Totally open. So getting in, especially if you're playing better than you were early in the year, which DC United yes. is, it 
you got a chance. You, yeah. Um, and LA and Houston have done that before. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's something it's, it's a, it's not the best way to go about your business. I don't think any fan of any team wants to see their team just squeak into the playoffs because you don't win a supporter shield that way. Um, and, and most of those teams don't end up going anywhere, but if you get in, you're, you're only a few games away from a trophy. It's just like the U S open cup. Um, if, if you're, um, if you send out that reserve team, the first, the first round that MLS teams enter and you get through that, you're looking at four games between you and a trophy. So, um, stepping up and taking it, uh, is big at this point. I'm, I'm looking at the standings right now and, um, it, you know, DC is only five points behind Montreal. So if Montreal, who isn't, they aren't in the best form either. If DC wins this weekend and Montreal loses, all of a sudden we don't even have to say, well, let's just settle for sixth. Yeah. Uh, the, the door's open to go further. Um, and Montreal should, I think, is expected to lose because they're at Toronto this this weekend. Toronto's probably at, the hottest team in the league, even at home. They they figured out how to play at home. It seems like so. You know, they're at Toronto and they're having to sort out their roster full of old players all at once. Yeah. Um, for that one, so um, people it, talk about it, how DC United is old and rightfully so. Uh, mm-hmm. Although this year United sneakily gotten a lot younger. Um, yeah. But for the last few years, DC United has been old. Montreal has been old since they got into the league. Somehow, I mean, it's a it's a decision that they've made to acquire players from mostly from Syria. Um, yeah, that's where they have connections. Um, with, they've always I mean, been old. Even even before Joey Saputo purchased uh, Bologna, he was still involved in Syria circles. It was just what he likes. To, I think it's just the league he likes to watch. I mean, he is of Italian descent. Um, and it's just what he is interested in. And, um, that's where the connections are and that's where they keep finding good players, uh, good enough anyway. Yeah. Um, even yeah, if it is to get them through three quarters of a season, right. Um, you know, they signed Marco DeVaio. Everyone said, oh, DeVaio's too old, um, to succeed in MLS. It turned out he wasn't, um, which, you know, sometimes we have to hold back on judging, an old player coming in from Europe because we don't know their mindset and, and who they are as a person where, you know, some old players come from Europe and they are perfect for the, for what their club needs. And sometimes you get someone who clearly thinks they're here on vacation and it doesn't work out. And, uh, you know, if it's a player you paid a lot of money to, then uh, you have a very large problem. Um, but yeah, Montreal, I don't know how they're going to rotate their team for that one, but, uh, for the, for DC, it's arguably, it's maybe the biggest game of the season because of the simple fact that there's clear cut 100% pressure that from kickoff, everyone in the stadium knows that the expectation and the requirement is win this game, regardless of how, regardless of what goes on, it has to be three points at the end or something is seriously wrong. So how do they do it? How do they, how do they beat the, the fire? Oh, well, they have to be really, really smart um, uh, with with the ball in possession. They can't give away turnovers in bad spots. Um, Chicago is going to sit deep and look for those attempts to counter. Um, they're going to look for David Akam, uh, mostly on the left, but, you know, as we already discussed, he might pop up somewhere else. Um, if he's on the right, United has to be very attentive towards forcing play away from that side of the field. If he plays on the left, then it's the, the same thing going the other way. Um if you can cut David Akam out of the game, if you can prevent them from finding him on the break or um, 
finding him on their rare attempts at possession, there's not really much else going on with the fire attack. Um, there's not really too much of a creative element. Arturo Alvarez uh, may or may not. I mean, they, they're going to have to rotate as well. Um, and he played from the start in L.A., if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, he played 73 minutes. Um, Alvarez has been playing well lately, but, you know, he's a an average MLS player. There's nothing really remarkable where you say, oh, Alvarez, that's a, a big problem to deal with. It's not Piotti. It's not uh, Sasha Kleschen or Diego Valeri, as DC has dealt with recently. Um, so if you can cut a com out of the game and prevent them from those breakouts, you're really going to limit Chicago. And that's why they've had so much trouble scoring goals this year is that that's really that's really what they need uh, to get going to score goals. That If they don't have that, it doesn't really work out for them. Um, breaking them down at the other end because they sit so deep is always going to be difficult. So um, United's players on the dribble, guys like Acosta and Niarco have to be sharp if Niarco starts, if he comes in off the bench. Um, Mullins needs to get the ball off his feet quickly um, to move players around to, to open up Chicago's defense uh, as a reference point down the middle to, to really get Lucho going, which um, I think he could be really important in this game because if you're going to sit deep but you can't stop a guy on the dribble like that, your shape suddenly goes goes away because someone else has to step up and step to him and all of a sudden he's got a, a passing option. And that's where we'll end it. I should have mentioned it earlier. Um, congrats to our, our absent co-host, Ben Bromley, who... Uh, after last week's episode was recorded, his his wife had a baby and he's now a father and all the congratulations in the world to, to Ben and his wife. Um, and if you're wondering why there wasn't an episode last week, it's because more important things really did happen um, after after it was recorded. Um, not not ditching your newborn and your your wife to sit on your computer and edit a goofy podcast is usually the right decision. Right. And, and, and right now I can only assume Ben is, is happily sleeping because we're recording this kind of late on, on Thursday night. Um, so, so I hope he is sleeping and or cradling his, his new kid. Uh, so, so congrats to the Bromleys and, uh, thank you all for, for listening. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Uh, go give reactions, ratings, reviews, whatever it is. I understand that those help us. So, uh, this is my rare request for you to go to the podcast app of your choice and, and talk about filibuster there. Uh, I will still make my, my weekly request to talk about filibuster elsewhere, like at the tailgate at RFK on Saturday when you're in the heat. Uh, say you knew it was going to be hot because Jason told you it was going to be hot on filibuster, this podcast you should really listen to. Uh, on that note, for, for Jason, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Jason.